I don't know about y'all, but um, I'm either going to be here for a purpose and a reason or I'll stay at home. I could have slept good this morning. I'm here for a purpose and a reason. I'm here to pray for one another. I'm here to bear one another's burdens. I'm here to hear what God would have to say. I'm here to lift praise to Him. I'm here for purpose and reason. And I've already started this morning. I don't know about y'all. My purpose for being here this morning has already started being fulfilled with the praise and the worship. And then we bear burdens and we pray for them. And then this morning we're going to open up his word and we're going to see what he would say to us. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. We're going to begin in verse 22. We'll read through verse 30. That's a beautiful song. I actually requested that song this morning. I want to thank Savannah and the youth. Savannah just tried to learn it off the, you know, just in the last few days to try to do it. I, um, there was a part in that song that I want y'all to think about as we as we preach and listen to this this morning. But um, the part in there that says, "Kings will surrender their crowns. Kings will surrender their crowns, and they'll worship Jesus because He is the love." The unfailing love. He is the love of God. And one day, every single one of us will bow down in front of him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And everyone will surrender to him. Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 22. And he went through the cities and the villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of that house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then, we, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves are thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. You may be seated. Pray with me again. Father, we just come to you again. And Lord, before we go any further, I just I want to ask you that you would speak whatever you want spoke, God. Father, I prepare myself to speak the truth in love this morning. And Father, I pray that your people are encouraged and exhorted. And God, I pray that we are rebuked and corrected all at the same time. And Lord, I pray that you would speak exactly what you want us to hear this morning and that we would open our hearts to receive your word, God. Lord, I pray that we would have a mind to, to want to know what it is that you would have us to hear. Not itching ears to hear what we would want to hear, God. There are so many of that out there. Father, I pray that you would give us a heart and a mind 
to seek your word and your word alone. Father, I thank you for, for opening your word to us. And Lord, you be the guide. You direct it this morning. We put our trust and our eyes on you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were here last Sunday night, I'm going to ask you to forgive me. You're going to hear a lot of what you've already heard. But as I was trying to figure out where we were going, I, I, just be honest with you, I've been sitting here the last probably two or three weeks knowing that the giving series was coming to an end, and I was just asking, God, where are we going? What are we going to do? And I, this thought came into my mind, why Jesus came into the world. I knew it was coming up on Christmas season and I knew that we were fixing to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ but I want to start looking at some reasons to celebrate. I want to start looking at, at why he came into the world so that we can start modeling our lives after what he came here to do. I want to look and see what his purpose is as to why he spent 33 years here. He, could have, he came to die for our sins and he could have done that without spending 33 years here. So we know that he spent a many a years here on this earth for one purpose and that was to show us and teach us many things other than just coming and dying for our sins. So I want to answer the question, why Jesus came into the world? If you do a little background on Luke chapter 13 where we're at right here, if you were to go back as far as Luke chapter 9, I believe it is, somewhere around in there, you would see that he had been teaching and preaching all throughout a place called Galilee. And Galilee was up on the north end of where he was at. And he had been teaching and preaching, and then he made a decision that there was a feast that was fixing to take place down in Jerusalem. And he decided that I have to be in Jerusalem for this feast. So the Bible tells us somewhere around Luke 9 or 10, somewhere around in there, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he begins to take a journey from Galilee, and he goes teaching and preaching through all these cities from Galilee all the way down to Jerusalem. Now as he's teaching and preaching, many will come up to him during this time, and they will say, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus will look at them and say, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head and they'll turn around and they'll walk off. The cost is too high. And then he'll be walking and journeying down through the city and he'll come to another man that'll come up and say, Lord, I'll follow you and do whatever you command. But first, let me go back and bury my father. And Jesus will look at him and say, let the dead bury the dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of the God and the man will turn away sad and he'll walk away. The cost is too high. And then another man will come up as he journeys on and he'll say, Lord, I will follow you wherever you will go and I will do whatever you tell me to do. And he says, but first let me go back and bid my family farewell. And Jesus said, anyone that will put his hand to the plow and turn and look back at anything in this world is not worthy of the kingdom of God and they cannot be not my disciple. He would move on to the very next town and he would tell them, unless a man is willing to give up all that he has, unless a man sees more value in me than anything in this wor world, even his own children, he is not worthy of me and he cannot be my disciple. 
He teaches and he continues to go on and as he, as he goes, he runs into a group of Pharisees and he begins to rebuke these Pharisees. Now these Pharisees were the most religious people that, these, that this world had ever seen. And Jesus looked at them and he called them hypocrites. So first we have these regular old Joes that are coming off their farms and saying, Lord, I'll follow you, I'll go anywhere. And then he says, unless you give up this and this, unless you're willing to give up all that you have, you can't be my disciple. And they turn around and they walk away. And then he looks at the most religious people they know and he says, you're hypocrites. Outside you look good, but inside you're evil. Then he comes up and this lawyer steps up and says, Jesus, by saying these words, you rebuke us. And Jesus said, woe to you lawyers too. You're supposed to be using the law to show people their sinful condition to help them turn around and instead you use it to your advantage. And he goes down and he just continues to show people that we are so far away from where God means for us to be. And finally we get to this part in Luke chapter 13 verse 22 and it says he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Remember his face was steadfast set toward Jerusalem and then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? Knowing the background, you begin, you begin to understand why the young man asked this question. Many people had came to him and said, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. And then when he told them the cost, they turned around and they walked away. Many people came to him and the, the ones they thought were the most religious and the ones that surely if anybody was going to heaven, the Pharisees were going to heaven and he called them hypocrites. The lawyers. He said, you're evil fools. And then finally... One of them comes up to him and says, Lord, is anybody going to heaven? Lord, are there few who are saved? And Jesus answers this question by telling him the next verse. And he said to them, what's that next word? Strive. Strive. The word strive means to devote serious effort or energy to battle or contend. He says, battle, contend, get in the fight. He says, strive. If you want to know who's saved, if you want to enter in, if you want to be in the few and not the many, he said, here's the answer. Strive. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. I saw right there that Jesus tells us that there is a place that we should be trying to enter. And if we're going to enter, there's going to be some striving involved. He says that if we're going to enter, it's only going to be through a narrow gate. It's not wide. It's very narrow. And he says, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Here we got many. We got few. Many will seek to enter but they will not be able to enter. And I asked the question, why Jesus came into the world? Why did he come? One of your answers is right here. He came to give you an invitation. See, before Jesus come, truthfully, before Jesus or before faith in God, there is no invitation to this place. 
It is only through Jesus Christ that he comes and he tells you there's a place for you to enter. It's a narrow way. It's a striving way. It's a difficult way. But there is a place for you to enter and I want to invite you to come there. The book of Revelation chapter 3 actually tells us at the end of it that Jesus says, I, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. I knock and I say, Open to me, and if you'll open to me, I will come in and I will dine with you and I will guide you and I will lead you and I will direct you and I will show you the narrow way and I will teach you how to strive. Jesus came in this world to give an invitation, but I asked, I asked the question myself a few nights ago. What is the invitation to? Go with me to Revelations chapter 4. I want to give you just a glimpse at this little place. I'm not going to spend quite as much, or try not to spend quite as much time on it as I did Sunday night. But I want you to take just a little bit of a look at this place in Revelations chapter 4. This is just the beginning of this place, okay? What I'm showing you is just the beginning celebration. That's all this is. is. We're not talking about the eternal. I'm just talking about the beginning of the eternal. Revelations chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to go through this pretty quick, so y'all hang on. After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. I want you to picture this. John looks up and he sees a vision and there's a door that's just standing open into heaven. It's an open door policy. It's open house in heaven right now as we speak. He says I looked and a door is standing open. There is an open invitation for us to come in. But then he goes on he says... And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, here's what it said, come up here. There is a desire in the life of Jesus Christ. There is a desire in the heart of God for every single one of you and me to come up there. That's his desire. He said, come up here. Come up here and I will show you things which must take, which must take place after this. And then verse 2 Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one set on the throne. Now I want you to think about this. John sees an open door and then when God provides him the way because immediately in the spirit he went there. There wasn't no other way. But God provides a way for him to get to that open door and he gets to it and when he gets to it he says behold there's a throne there's a throne sitting in heaven and there is one who sits on this throne. In verse 3, And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Now picture this. He looks up and he sees a throne. And when he sees this throne, this is not like a, this pulpit right here. Isaiah saw this throne back in Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah, when he saw this throne, he was standing in the temple of God. Now the temple was a massive structure. The temple was quite a bit bigger than what we're standing in right here today. Quite a bit taller. More luxurious. The temple was massive. And Isaiah said, I looked and I saw a throne high and lifted up. In other words, this throne was bigger and greater than any throne that Isaiah had ever seen. And now John gets a vision of the same throne. 
He walks in through the door and there's a throne. And this throne is high and lifted up. And there is one who sits on this throne. And he is massive. And John can only describe what he sees in terms that he understands from this world. He can only describe because what he's seeing, he cannot, he's never seen these things before. The Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared. These worldly things are not what John saw. But he looks up and he sees on this throne that one who sits there is like a jasper and a sardius stone. And basically these were some of the most precious precious, colorful gems on the earth and the best way he could describe what he saw on the throne was it was like the most precious things I have ever seen here on this earth. I have no other way to describe it. And then he looks and he sees something that's going around this throne. Remember, it's high, it's lifted up, it's massive. And he looks and he says, it's something like a rainbow is all I can describe it. And it's going around this throne. It's just full of colors all around and then it says, and in appearance, it's like an emerald. And then in verse 4, around the throne, so we've got this throne, we've got this one who sits on it who is undescribable. Then we've got this rainbow that surrounds it. And then around this rainbow and around this throne, we've got 24 other thrones. Now these thrones are not as big as the middle throne. He goes around, he counts 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Now that's important. These men have been given crowns. They have overcome, and God has made them master over many things. Remember the song, kings will surrender their crowns? Keep going with me. In verse 5, and from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne. So you got seven lamps in front of the throne, 24 thrones around this rainbow throne. And these are the seven spirits of God. In verse 6, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Stay with me. I want you to picture this. You've got four beasts. Now John can only describe these things according to what he recognizes. And he said one of them is, he's like a lion is the best way I know to describe him. One of them has a face that's like a man. And one of them, he just describes them the best way that he can. And he says they're full of eyes. He says their eyes are everywhere. And they've got six wings. And they're just sitting there and they're flying. And they never leave the throne day or night. They're there every second they never leave. Now Isaiah described these angels in Isaiah 6 one time and he gave us a little bit more understanding of what they are. See, I don't want you to think for one second that these are what you've seen, these chubby little winged creatures. You've seen them little angels that float around on Valentine's Day, right? That's not what I'm talking about here. 
I'm talking about creatures that the Bible says that in Isaiah that they were above the throne. Now, if the throne is high and lifted up and these creatures are above the throne, these are massive angels of God. The Bible actually calls them seraphim. Burning ones is what it means. They are literally on fire and burning for God. And they never leave the throne and they fly above it with six wings. And as they fly, the only thing they can do is stand and look at this throne and go, holy, holy, holy. These are creatures that are untainted by human sin. They're perfect in every way. They have never been flawed, and yet they look at God in all of their glory, even still, they look at all of the heavenly things and they still look at the throne and say, what we look at is completely set apart from everything else. That's what the word holy means. It means to be set apart. When Moses stood on holy ground, it, what made it holy was that God had set it apart for that purpose. It couldn't be used for anything else. It wasn't any other land like it. Whenever God sits on the throne and the angels and the beasts look at him, they look at him and the only thing they can say is holy. He is completely set apart from everything else that we have ever seen. Brenda, you're going to have to polish these bells when you get done. I may start for you right now. He is completely set apart from everything else that we have ever seen. And we've never seen anything so majestic and splendorous as this. And then these, these beasts, they say, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He was and he is and he is to come. He just is. When God told Abraham his name, he said, tell him. Or when God told Moses his name, he said, tell him, I am. That's what I want you to tell him. I was, I am, and I am to come. That's just who I am. And then in verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, look at what happens next. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Now think about this. We've got four creatures that their job is to lead worship. That's all they do. Their job is just to simply stand at the throne and look at him and say, holy. That's their job. And then whenever they say holy, it strikes up something in everyone else around that the elders can't do anything but look at this and go, wow, they're right. Holy is the Lord. And then the ones that have overcome and God has given them crowns, they look at their crowns and they go, I have, no matter what I've overcome, no matter how good I've done, I'm not worthy of this crown. And they take this crown and they strip it off their head and they sling it at the throne and they say, you are worthy. You're worthy. I am not worthy. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Only you are worthy of crowns. So we've got these angels and these beasts and then we've got these 24 elders and they sit down and they throw their crowns and they just praise God and this worship service is going on. They've never seen anything like this in their life. And then they go on and they say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. And here's why. For you created all things. And by your will, they exist and they were created. 
If it were not for you, the one who sits on the throne, we would be nothing and we would have nothing to overcome. We would not be overcomers. You are worthy, O oh Lord, and you alone. And then go with me to chapter 5. I'm just going to keep on going. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Nobody was even worthy. So I wept much, but because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the middle of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Look what happens next. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and you have made us, what? Kings. Kings will surrender their crowns because they will see that only this one is worthy. And you have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. And look at verse 11. Then I looked... And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. So picture this. Get this in your head real good. You've got a throne, massive, high lifted up. You've got a rainbow surrounds it. You've got four massive angels, creatures, not like what you've seen, these feminine creatures. No, these, these were something like you've never seen before. You've got these four creatures and then around the throne you've got 24 thrones with 24 elders all with crowns on them. They threw their crowns at the feet of Jesus and then you look back and he hears the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Somebody do that math for me. How many angels? How many people? How many creatures? 10,000. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Have you ever been in a worship service like this? Worthy is the lamb who was slain and everyone is in one accord and the only thing they can do is just look at God. That's it. And they look at the Lamb of God and they say, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then look what happened in verse 13. 
This thing just keeps on going. Not only have the, the elders joined in and the angels of thousands of thousands of ten thousands times ten thousands joined in, but then we get here and every creature in verse 13, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, there is nothing that God has created that at this point has not all of a sudden, you ever heard the old psalm that says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord? Well, it's happening. Dolphins just stood up and said, blessing and honor and glory. Great white sharks just come up out of the ocean and said, you are worthy. Horses just busted down their fences to go up to the throne to say praise him who sits on the throne every creature has just joined in saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever and I love this next part look what happens in 14 then the four living creatures we're going back to the four living creatures. We're going back to the ones that began the worship. We're going back to the ones that all day and all night, they never stopped saying holy. And after all the thousands of thousands of voices and every creature saying amen, remember they've been doing this by themselves for ages and now comes the time when all of creation joins in with them and they look up and they say amen. Amen. I'm looking all around and it is countless, the numbers. It is an innumerable multitude and they're all praising the Lamb who sits on the throne. And as a worship leader, the only thing I can do is stand up here and say, Amen. Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped Him who lives forever and ever. Who wants to be there when this takes place? This is just the beginning. But there's a problem. That door is open to this place right now. It's open. There is an invitation that Jesus has came and extended to us. But there's a problem. Even if Jesus gives us an invitation, we still cannot get to that door on our own. The Bible tells us that there is a great gulf that has been fixed that makes it impossible for anyone to get from there to here or anyone to get from here to there on our own. It's not possible. The Bible says that no sin can enter into this place, that no evil in any form can come near this place. So a great gulf has been fixed that makes it impossible for sinners and all who have sinned to be able to get to this place. Luke, um, let me find the scripture for you. Luke chapter 16, verse 26. Look at what it says. This is God talking to a man in hell. The man in hell is trying his best to get Lazarus to come down, give him a dip of, just a dip, tip of his finger dipped in water. Verse 26, God says, And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you, what? They can't. They can't, nor can those from there pass to us. 
It has been made impossible for us to get to that door on its own. I don't care how long it stays open. I don't care what you try to do. In your flesh state, in your condition of all having sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, you cannot get to this door. It is impossible for you to get to this place that I just described to you. It's not possible. You can't get there. It's out of your control. So Jesus tells us, back at Luke chapter 13, one more time, he tells us that the ones who are saved are going to need to do something. The ones who are going to be in this place are going to have to do something that's not going to be easy to do. And don't let nobody fool you. People tell you, say, just come up here, pray the prayer, and leave. Well, listen, I am going to tell you, no, you cannot earn your salvation. You can't. It is a free gift. However, when you accept this gift, you take on the responsibility of him being your Lord. And then that is a result of you living your life modeling after him. And if indeed you are saved, your life will reflect that. If it don't, then believe me, you will not be in this place. That's a guarantee. Keep going with me. He says, strive in verse, um, verse 24. He said, strive to enter through the narrow gate. Devote serious effort or energy to battle. Make sure that you are in the fight and striving to enter through the narrow gate because there is only one way and that has been provided by Jesus Christ and you have to strive to get through it. For many, and this is scary right here, listen closely. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. There's going to be a whole bunch of people that want to get to this place. How many wants to go to heaven? How many of you know not everybody's going? I want to go to heaven. I want to get into this place. And there are going to be many that's going to seek to enter, but they will not be able. And then he goes on and he says, When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door. So first off, you need to understand is this. Jesus came to give you an invitation. He came to provide you a way. It's a narrow way. It's a difficult way. It's a way you've got to strive. But he provided you a way. But then he says that there's coming a time when that door is going to be shut. And there will be no more opportunity for you to enter into that door. And look what he says next. He says, many will stand, begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. You know what that says to me right there? And it's scary. When I say Lord, that means that somewhere along the line I was deceived. Because in my heart and in my mind, I believe that Jesus is Lord of my life. But Jesus says to them, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, listen to this, this, is, this gets even scarier. We ate and drank in your presence. Jesus, we sit down at the table with your body, with all of your Christian people. On December the 11th, we went back to the back after services. We sat down and we ate with you. We ate in your presence. And you say you don't know me? Not only that, he says you taught in our streets. He says, Jesus, I was sitting right out there every Sunday morning. 
I heard your word taught over and over and over again. I, you don't know me? He says, you're standing outside, you're knocking, but I don't know where you're from. And then in verse, 26, or verse 27, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, and here's the key. All you, what's them next three words? Mm. Strive to enter. He said, here's the problem. In your life, if indeed you are striving, in your life, if indeed you are on the narrow way, in your life, if you are indeed one of the few and not the many, there will be something that will be taking place in your life. First thing is this. You will not be a continual worker of iniquity. If your life increases in sin or continues to, to dwell and live in sin, I stand before you right now without having to judge you, just standing on the word of God, and I say to you, you are one of the many. That's just the truth. The Bible tells us over and over again, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. See, the reason why I got so pressed with this this week, I was sitting down with a young man, good friend of mine, and he was telling me, he's telling me about his, his child, and he said his child was uh, having a hard time because this person kept preaching to him. He said, and I, he said, and I just, he said, I think it might be good if they just quit preaching to them. This kid was raised up in church, and this kid is uh, 20 something years old, and he knows right from wrong. He knows where he's supposed to be. And yet, I said, you know what? I said, I'm going to tell you something. I said, you better be glad that somebody's preaching to them. And you better pray that they don't quit preaching to them. For many that was raised in church, Many that stood up and held their hands up and said, Praise be to the Lamb. Many that came up and prayed a prayer and said, I believe. Many will stand outside the door when the door has been shut and they will knock and say, Lord, why don't you know me? And I'll look at them and I'll say, You were a worker of iniquity. You were not one who were following my path. See, if Christ is your Lord then sin should be decreasing in your life and he should be increasing. It's impossible for it to work any other way. Think about this. If something is your Lord and it tells you to do something, what do you do? You do it, if it's your Lord. That's the reason Jesus asked the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? It's not possible. So if Jesus is your Lord, is it possible that you can be obeying his commands and increasing in sin. Use common sense. It's not possible. It can't line up that way. Now listen to me. I'm not talking about stumbles this morning. We all stumble. But you know whether it's a stumble or a lifestyle. And I say to you this morning, I got so much further to go, but I know I'm not going to be able to make it. I say to you this morning that it's going to be up to each and every one of us to examine ourselves and make sure that we are in the few that is striving to walk the difficult way. That we are following Jesus as Lord and that will be the evidence that indeed we have been saved. If not, 
we are deceived and will be part of the many. I'm going to close with this scripture. 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 28. <clears throat> I'm not even going to go through all that. Just going to read this. 1 John chapter 2 verse 28. Listen to what, listen to what John told from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, and now little children, abide in him. Who is him? Jesus. Now little children, abide in Jesus, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. You see there? He said that if indeed he is your Lord, then your life should be evident by you practicing righteousness in it. It don't mean you won't still make mistakes. It don't mean you won't still stumble. But you do not have a lifestyle of iniquity. And then he goes on in chapter 3. He says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should even be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And look at verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him, what does he do? In other words, there ought to be a process in our lives of renewing in our mind going on. There ought to be a process in our lives of a purification going on. It don't mean that you are perfect again, but it means that you are becoming more like him and less like you if indeed you are going to be one of the few who enters in. And look at verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested. That word manifested actually means revealed or to make visible what has been hidden. So when Jesus Christ came into the world as a baby, he was manifested. The reason he came into the world, he says he was manifested to take away our sins. You see that? He wasn't just... He wasn't just revealed and manifested to die for our sins. He was manifested to take them away. To begin to remove them from your lives. To get them out of you. And then look what he says next. Whoever abides in him. Look at verse 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now what he's talking about here is practicing sin. Workers of iniquity. He's not talking about mistakes, stumbles, He's talking about practicing. Keep going with me. Verse 7. Little children, let no one... What's that next word? This is so important. For many will stand out and go, Lord, Lord. In other words, many are going to stand out there in their minds actually thinking, I was walking the narrow path. But it wasn't possible for us to live in iniquity and walk the narrow path. Do you see this? Keep going with me. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And he who sins is of the devil, for this devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, look at this, for this purpose the Son of God was 
manifested. For this purpose, the Son of God came into the world. For this purpose, we celebrate Christmas morning. For this purpose, Jesus Christ was revealed that he might destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose, Jesus Christ was brought into the world that he might destroy the works of the devil. I made two special notes. By following Christ, our sins in our life should be decreasing. He should be increasing. By following Christ, we should be destroying the works of the devil, not continuing to walk in them. I ask you the question this morning. Shirley, if you want to come on up. When you look at your life, and again, this, this thing is in love. Somebody say, well, he's trying to make me question my salvation. You're right. <laughs> You're right. I am. I am. You know why? Because I believe those that are inside that gate when the door is shut cannot see out. But I believe the ones that are out can see in. And I believe that there's going to be many that's going to stand outside and look in. And, the, and, and Jesus told them, he said, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you look in and you see Kevin Wells and Nick King and, and so and so, and then you yourself is thrust out. He said, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, yeah, that scares me. It does. That scares me. And I believe this is the primary reason why when Paul went to write to the, to the people, that, that he looked at them and he would say, please examine yourself. Examine yourself and see whether you're in the faith. Is Jesus Christ in you? Does he abide in you? Is he your Lord? Because it's impossible for him to be your Lord and yet you choose to be disobedient and walk away from him. That can't happen. You can mess up. You can make mistakes. You can make bad decisions. But as far as choosing a lifestyle of being disobedient to him, it's not possible for him to be Lord. So I ask you, Examine yourself this morning. Number one, are, are you striving? <laughs> are you even in the fight? I don't know about you, but Nick, I battle every day. I mean, I battle, Pinky. <laughs> Good gracious, I battle. I battle for righteousness. I battle to stay away from sin. I battle temptation. I fight and I make war against the flesh every day. I battle. I'm striving. It ain't an easy walk. If your Christian walks easy, I ain't going to say you ain't in it. I'm just going to say, Lord, I want to be in your shoes because mine's not. Mine's not easy. It's a narrow way. It's a very difficult way. And I pray this morning that Jesus Christ coming into the world is doing that. It is taking away your sins. It is destroying the work of the devil. I pray that you hear his invitation this morning that you would come to say, I want to be one of the few that enters in. If that's not you, if you're not in that boat this morning ready to go to the other side, I want to open up the invitation this morning to ask you with no shame in you to step out and come and say, I need to make Jesus Lord of my life. And if that's you, I want to invite you to do that this morning right now as we stand.